Good evening. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And uh, we hope, hope that your time with us tonight will be a blessing and your presence uh, is a blessing to us uh, tonight. I look back uh, earlier, a few months ago, and we had a whole month that we talked about the idea of hope. And so some of the things that will be presented tonight will come from some of those lessons and will be way of review and then some will come from uh, the one word book as well. So I hope that it'll be something that uh, we all can take and apply to our lives. And Bradley, I appreciate you leading that song. Uh, My hope is built on nothing less. You know, I, um, I found out uh, some news that uh, about some people that Greta and I know, and you know, I'm 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 standing here just wow, and it reminded me that uh, no matter where we are, no matter what we do or what we're involved in, especially if we are Christians, Satan is after us. He's after us, and that's why it's important that we talk about hope. And when you think about, you look through the churches that's written about in the book of Revelation, you look through the New Testament Christians, and you can see a people, because of their circumstances, at times you can wonder, I understand why people uh, in, in those situations might think that there's no hope. But tonight, it's our prayer that we can see hope in Scripture and in Jesus Christ. But Nick, if you'll go to the next slide... May the odds ever be in your favor. Maybe you've seen this movie and heard these words that were made famous in the movie The Hunger Games. Uh, This catchphrase is uttered by District 12 escort Effie Trinket. The main character, Cactus Aberdeen, was left to hope that the odds would be in her favor to survive the attacks on her in these games and also on that of her partner's lives during these games in order that they might come out alive and as victor. You know, there are many people today who hope in the odds of life. And they hope that the odds of life will ever be in their favor. Sadly, the odds of life are not in the favor of many. Odds will fail us, will they not? And so if that's the case, what is a person to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, our message is a message of hope. A message of hope that is more than odds in our favor. We have a hope in Christ that no matter how the odds unfold in life, that when we leave this earth, we have the opportunity, we get to enjoy We get to enjoy heaven. You see, that's hope. That's hope that's far beyond any odds that could ever be in our favor in this life on this earth. And so I want us to go to and look at a few uh, meanings of the word hope in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, There are several words in the Old Testament uh, translated hope, but two of the most common Hebrew words translated hope are uh, translated to wait and to hope. Uh, The difference, someone says, the difference between hoping and waiting is whether or not there is an expectation uh, and an optimistic outlook. Whether there is an expectation or an optimistic 
outlook. In the New Testament, the Greek noun and um, its associated verb almost in every context conveys the meaning of a confident expectation and anticipation of a good outcome. Almost every one of those cases, there's a, uh, there's a confident expectation of something to come. In the New Testament also, the object of hope is frequently in the promise, found in the promises of God. When God promised something, there is hope that God is going to fulfill that promise. And these fundamental meanings, uh, fundamental meanings of these terms, hope, uh, bring to light and bring to mind some thoughts for us to consider. For example, hoping always entails waiting. Though someone says not all waiting is done in hope. The object of hope determines the quality of the hope. That's an important thought. Christian hope, you see, is not just a maybe, but it's an expectation. It's not, well, I hope. It's not like it might happen, but it's that expectation. For example, notice Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, where the Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Also in the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, my Bible titles this section in Hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse 13, Heavenly Hope. And notice what the Bible says there. These all died in faith. It was talking about their hope in heaven. This is what they expected. These people lived this way, expecting this. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Remember, uh, in Scripture, a lot of times hope is found in the promises of God. But having seen them afar off, they saw them through faith. Not physically, but through faith were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They realized, these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they realized that what? This world is not my home. They knew there was something better. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. For those who say such declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. These people lived in that expectation of the hope of the future. God said this is what would happen. God promised it and they knew that He would fulfill. Let us turn and read some places in Scripture. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice Job chapter 19. Hope, it seems, in the book of Job was a subject often discussed. But I want you to notice Job chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Then Job answered and said, How long 
Will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with His net. If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. Hence, uh, He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And He has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me from of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. My hope... He has uprooted like a tree. He has also kindled His wrath against me, and He counts me as one of His enemies. His troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. Can you imagine the hopelessness that Job faced? Everything he had on pretty much had been taken away. His friends had come and for a period of time, everything was good as long as they didn't say anything, right? But it's when they started opening their mouth that all the problems started. And Job, in Job chapter 19, feels hopeless. In Job 13 and verse 15, he says, Though he slay me, he will hope in him. Though he's in this hopeless case, 19 and verse 10, He breaks me down on every side and I'm gone and my hope, He has pulled up like a tree. There's no hope, it seems. But yet, we know the rest of the story. We know that Job puts his hope in God. You see, here in chapter 19, Job kind of undergoes a transformation, if you will. Uh, he go, as he's going through these trials. Initially, it seems that he believes like his friends do. That good people are blessed and wicked people suffer. He believes that the odds of life is the only thing that's in his favor. That's what his friends believe. And it seems that Job begins believing that too. When suffering comes to him, however... He is thrown into disorientation in relation to the laws of the universe. He questions the justice of God and the hope uh, that and his hope is threatened. Uh, someone has said, "If our hope is rooted in the promises of God, when our faith is shaken, so is our. Uh, if our hope is not rooted in the promises of God, when our faith is shaken, so is our hope." The test for Job was to wait through the period of suffering without. Losing hope. And isn't that what Satan wants us to do? He wants people that, that are facing hopelessness to see, see, God gave up on you. God's not hearing you. But Scripture would remind us, wait, even through suffering, wait on the promises of God. And we know by looking at the rest of the story, the outcome of Job and his life. Luke chapter 24. Turn to Luke chapter 24, if you will. And the crucifixion of Jesus, it undermined the hope that the disciples had. But their hope then was restored in the resurrection, or by the resurrection. Uh, Luke chapter 24, notice beginning in verse 13. 
You remember this story uh, that uh, the two men on the, the road to Emmaus. Now behold, two of them were traveling, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus Himself drew near and went to them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know Him. And He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have uh, with one another so you, uh, as you walk and are sad? They're sad. They're hopeless. Uh, Then one whose name was Cleophas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, These things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him uh, to be condemned to the death and be crucified. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find His body. They came saying that He had also seen a vision of angels who said He was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see, but he did not, him they did not see. Then he said to him, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, they they saw the odds of life. And this man who called himself Jesus and, and did all these performed all these miracles, he's died, but we don't even know where he's at. You might say, yes, there's hope. Uh, because see, he said, we were hoping. We thought that maybe that would be the one to redeem us, redeem Israel. And maybe they thought to an earthly kingdom. And they totally missed the true hope that is in Jesus Christ. They, like Job, misunderstood God's plan. And when their own expectations are dashed, their hope is lost. You see, it's important where we place our hope because where we place our hope... uh, It determines the outcome. It determines how we react and how we deal in various situations. When Jesus finally reveals Himself to them, their hope returns with new joy and new power. The good news of the resurrection Jesus, of the resurrection resurrected Jesus, still has power to restore. Today, hope is found also knowing that Jesus rose from the grave. He's no longer there. And we have hope in that resurrection. We have hope in the promises of God. Acts chapter 23, if you will. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 23.
see, after Jesus had been resurrected, the topic of hope in Christ uh, circled in those areas and they centered on the promises of the resurrection of eternal life. That this world, there's more than this world. In chapter 23, beginning in verse 6, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees uh, party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled into pieces by them, commanded that the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Paul then realizes in trying to share with them, listen, there's hope in the resurrection. And here the religious leaders of, Jew, of the Jews, they were divided on this subject. So much so that they begin arguing and fighting. And it's almost as they even forget why they put Paul on trial. They even forget why they're standing, why Paul's standing there before them. And Paul tries to remind them, you're judging me concerning hope and the resurrection. Hope and the resurrection. It's fascinating to consider the idea that people might be thoroughly religious without holding on the hope of a resurrection. Some people can sit in church buildings and sit in worship services and have no hope of a future or of real hope in Jesus Christ. Turning your Bibles, if you will, to our last passage of Scripture found over in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I want to mention to you about Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, it seems to revelate... I'm sorry, it seems the rest... I can't even speak. Give me some hope in my language here. The relationship between suffering and faith and hope was a topic of discussion in Romans chapter 8. Paul reasons there in Romans chapter 8. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. Paul realized there's something better. We hope for it and we expectantly are waiting for it. I'm reminded of a story of a man at dinner one night. And I've shared this with you before, but I think it's fitting for this. He had spent his summers in Maine in a town called Flagstaff. And so he's sitting around the dinner table and he, he's telling these people about uh, this, this story of Flagstaff up in Maine. And the, the, the town was going to be flooded. And so, uh, because they were building the, a, a dam there, and, and they were, this town was going to be flooded. And so they're sitting around debating about what to do. And they had been painting their houses and keeping the city up. But then all of a sudden, they decided, you know what, what's the use? There's no hope. There's no hope. 
This place is going to be flooded. It's going to be underwater. So they stopped painting. They stopped renovating. Week by week, the town became more depressed and more and more hopeless. To which he added this statement of exclamation. Where there is no hope or no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. So what are we hoping in? Why do we do what we do? Why do we come together? Why do we study? Because we have faith and hope, expectant hope, in the future. Don't you notice Hebrews chapter chapter six? Remember the Christian Hebrews, they were struggling. They were struggling to hold on to their faith in the midst of a chaotic world. For you see, they had been persecuted. And many of them were being tempted to return to what was in their minds a more comfortable lifestyle. They were wanting to return or being tempted to return to Judaism. The Jewish religion had long been recognized by the Roman government, but not Christianity. Not Christianity. And so as they are being persecuted for being Christians, uh, they want to go back into what is more comfortable for them. There's, There's not persecution there, or at least not that much from the Roman government for the Jews. And many of these Hebrew Christians had abandoned their faith and their hope in Christ. The Hebrew writer had been reminding them of their great history as a Hebrew nation, but with each example he uses and reminds them that Christ is better. Someone has said his purpose was to nail Christians to Christ by reminding them to remain faithful no matter their circumstances like we talked about this morning. No matter their circumstances, there still remains hope in Christ even if they kill you. Even if they kill you. Because you see, hope is not in this life, right? Hope is in the next. Hope in Jesus Christ. But instead of listening to what the Hebrew writer was saying, many were falling away. And others were being tempted to do the same. In chapter 6, he challenges them to move on to maturity by going beyond the foundational principles of Christ and not fall away. No matter the circumstances... Mature and realize hope is not in life here. Hope is not in the circumstances and the things that happen here. Hello, people out there in the world. Let's declare with our lives. That's why we do what we do. That's why we try to be Jesus to people. That's why we talk about places like hell. It exists. 
Because there's no hope there. But there's hope in heaven through Jesus Christ. The Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews chapter 6 beginning in verse 9, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, and we desire that each of you... Each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Paul might as well be saying, listen Christians, even if you die, even even if the Roman government takes your life, That's okay. Because hope is not in this life. You show the same diligence as you have ministered to people. You show the the same diligence to the full assurance. That's an expectation of hope until the end. We've often used that scripture, be thou, be thou faithful unto death, right? In other words, you be faithful if it means death or until death. Because there's hope on the other side of death. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews chapter 6. This hope we have as an anchor. An anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever after, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, our hope is in Christ. And that hope is an anchor. It's firm. It's secure. It's steadfast. Anchors generally, like on the screen, are uh, a part of a ship or a boat. Uh, Heavy metal objects, generally in a double hook shape. They're used to lower down into the ocean or that body of water to secure the ship by hooking onto whatever it might in the ocean floor, a rock or or anything like that, to give the ship stability. Storms are going to come. Storms are going to toss those uh, to and fro. And back in Bible times, many of those were built out of wood. They could uh, be in fear of being tossed by that storm, tossed on the rocks, tossed on the shore, and beaten apart. But it gives that idea of an anchor. You lower that anchor. That anchor will secure you during those those storms, those storms of life. Because hope is in Jesus. Martel Pace writes, If the anchor is strong, it will not bend or break. And if securely fastened, our ship of life is secure. If we lose our glorious hope, then all is lost. The Hebrew writer would remind these people that he was writing to. The hope that we have in Christ, you be diligent as you were ministering in other ways, you be that diligent in holding that hope. You see, it's an anchor. 
And only with that anchor, that hope that's an anchor for our souls in Jesus Christ, only that, only that will help us hold until the end. I've shared this story with you once before, but I want to share it with you again because I think it's a great illustration of hope. It's a story about Harrison Okini from Nigeria. He unexpectedly found himself in a hopeless situation. He was on a small tugboat, and a, a massive wave came and overturned this tugboat, and he's sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And he's in just a small spot. He, all he has is a pair of shorts on. And he alone is the only one that survives, and he's in that small area, total darkness, he's disoriented, he's alone, he hears the, uh, the fish feeding on his other uh, shipmates that have perished, but he alone is there, awaiting for about 60 hours for what little bit of oxygen he had to run out and then die. He had lost hope. But just about the time that oxygen was about to run out, he saw a diver. He had been rescued. He was given oxygen and led to a decompression chamber and gradually raised to the surface, snatched from the jaws of death. And what seemed like a hopeless situation only proved to be the setting for his, in that story and in that sense, his salvation. It was that small pocket of air that kept him alive just long enough for those divers to reach him. Try to imagine the joy that and relief that Harrison must have experienced when he reached out his hand to that diver and he gave him that oxygen and helped lead him to that decompression chamber. Hope from hopelessness. Imagine that when a sinner gives their life to Jesus and in a sense, through Jesus, reaches out touches the hand of God, goes from hopeless to having hope. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Always be ready. We talk about always being ready to give a defense, but he goes on and says, for the, when people ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, because in Jesus Christ, I can be in heaven. In Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It matters. It matters 
that you're there. That matters. That's why God sent Jesus. So we can live lives of hope. And through our answer, and through our lives, people can go from hopeless into Jesus Christ through faith and obedience to having hope. Tonight, if you're in that condition, we hope that you will give your life to Jesus. That you, through Jesus Christ, and through being buried with Him in Christ, being buried with Him in baptism, you can rise in newness of life. Listen, why do people? Why are people excited when they give their life to Jesus and they're baptized? Because they have hope. They have hope. You can do that tonight. Maybe it is that you're here tonight and... Uh, For whatever reason, you need the prayers of the church. We stand here, stand ready and willing to pray with you and pray for you, to lift you up to Almighty God, where hope is, so that no matter what this life holds, no matter what Satan is putting in your life, that when we lay those to God, when we give our lives to God, we can walk out. We can walk, we can live in hope. As together we stand and sing.